0: Each episode, we bring you B2B leaders to learn about their successes, fails, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share the pod with a friend. And of course, make sure to join our community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack to connect with our members. This week, Shaheen chats with Greg Nutter, founder of SolorQuint Inc. about marketing in complex sales environments and what marketers should know from the south side of the equation when approaching these complex environments. That's enough from me. Let's dive right into
1: today's episode.
2: Greg, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks,
1: Jean. Great, uh, great to be with you.
2: Absolute pleasure. I mean, this is, we usually cover these things and these topics from the uh, the marketing side. So I'm super excited to have a chat to you th- uh, today and, and talk about this from the from the sales side of the equation. I think that's a, that's a part of the equation that in a lot of situations is missed and marketers might not have as much grasp because, well, frankly, most of the marketers don't come from sales background, but we have to work with sales quite, quite often. So I'm, I'm super excited to get your insights on, on this, Greg. Let's start at a fundamental question, okay? Let's get to, let's get to the basics and start with defining sales, especially in the complex env- sales environments.
1: How do you, Greg, how do you go about defining sales? Good, good question. If you ask five people what selling is, you'll get five different answers. And so that's why, actually, the first chapter of my book is called Define Selling. Because if we don't know what it is, we don't know what we need to do to be successful at it. So what I try and do is point out that there are two very different kinds of sales or selling motions. First one we call simple or the transactional sale. And the second one we call the complex, or you may have heard people call solution selling or consultative selling. In the simple selling situation, this is what you find in a typical retail environment, what we call you know, B2C. It's a two-step process. You give information and then you ask for the order and i like to refer to this as clerking because it's really more how do you get somebody to the cash register and ring up ring up the sale this is a way of selling that we're really all very familiar with because we encounter it almost every day of our life the other side is what we call the complex sales situation and it has two very different dimensions to it the first one is when the linkage between our product or product features and the benefits they provide isn't obvious. It isn't straightforward. And secondly, the buying decision process is complex. And when I say complex, it means there's a whole lot of people, there's a lot of different steps. It's not just linear. I talk to somebody, ask for the order and I get the sale. So this complex sale is what we almost always find in a business to business situation. We're selling is less about giving information and more about influencing perspectives or creating awareness. Uh, what I like to say is, in effect, creating light bulb moments. So just giving information is really poor at influencing perspectives because it doesn't cause people to do as much thinking. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's
2: interesting. And one of the things that I think becomes really also crucial, that information piece is, is um, that you, you brought up is... I feel like the job of providing the information to a great extent now lie in the complex sales environment, lies on the marketing side. And then sales is there to, as you said, is there to influence. Would you
1: say that's, that's correct? What are your thoughts on that? I think that that's a traditional thinking and that's where I see sometimes there's a disconnect with what selling is doing, what marketing is doing. I think marketing has a, a role, and in fact I'd say a very significant role in helping to create greater awareness and helping to influence perspectives and not just provide information. Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's let's
2: maybe dive into that a little bit, a little bit more and, and specifically from the sales side. What do you think are some of the areas that marketers need to better understand about sales, and and what sales is responsible for?
1: Yeah, great question, Shaheen. So, I would like to start that conversation by throwing out some you know statistics, and the ones I'm going to mention are you know a couple of years old, but in my experience working with companies all around the world, they're still very relevant. First. The, according to the marketing, American Marketing Association, they stated that 50 to 90% of the materials created by marketing to support sales are never used by salespeople. There's a lady by the name of Maureen Blandford who a number of years ago wrote a book on B2B branding. In that book, she said, talk to any salesperson at a B2B company and ask them the percentage of corporate developed tools they actually use. You rarely hear more than 10%. Last statistic, the American Marketing Association and the CMO Council both reported the following. Salespeople are spending approximately 40% of their time preparing customer-facing deliverables while leveraging less than 50% of the materials created for them by marketing. In fact, in my early selling career, I did exactly the same thing. I spent a lot of my valuable selling time creating my own selling tools. And so if you look at back to whether you're selling or marketing, um, the marketing can add a whole lot of value in helping salespeople have more time to actually sell. Now you can ask the question, well, why is this happening? Marketing yeah, that was, that was where I was going. <laughs> marketing professionals aren't idiots, right? And they don't set out to create tools that are of limited value. So where's the disconnect? And I think you mentioned this, Sheehan, when we first started is that most people in marketing never had an opportunity to learn complex selling, B2B selling. They have not been in a sales position. And so when they develop programs and tools, they often rely on their own life experiences. And what we said earlier is most of those life experiences are consumer oriented selling. And so that's why a lot of the tools end up being great for B2C or, you know, consumer selling. And not so helpful in B2B selling. Right. Right.
2: Okay. And and what do you think, Greg, is a is a great way for marketers to to develop that understanding about sales. um, so that when they're when they're working on sales enablement, creating assets for the sales team, that asset that number goes up then uh, higher than 50% to you know in the 80s and 90s hopefully what do you think what do you think is some of the activities or exercises or things that that marketers can do to kind of
1: develop that understanding well there's a couple things that i've seen first is to do a deep dive deeper understanding of what the buying decision process is for the company's offerings in my book, I talk about how there are five stages that both individuals and companies go through when you know, making an important buying decision. Very predictable, and everybody goes through them. When I detail those stages, I also point out, here's what the buyer is thinking and doing in each stage, and therefore, what are the key objectives of either marketing or sales to undertake if they want to move the deal forward at that stage? The key thing, I guess, which is really important is that different stages of this, of these, you know, five stages of decisions, doing the right thing helps move the deal forward. Doing the wrong thing can either cause the deal to stall or, or, make you look stupid. You know, neither of which is a good thing, right? So for example, telling a prospect that your product is on sale this week when they haven't decided if they have a problem big enough to buy it, is at best annoying telling them about a new feature or product release when they're in the final stages, can either, you know, put a deal on hold or, you know, kill it entirely. So whether it's selling or marketing, the messaging and what the company does, either from marketing level or sales level, needs to be aligned to where the buyer is in their decision process, not to what the sales rep is doing. The second thing I highly recommend is being aware that the hardest part of B2B selling is the early stage. You know, what we call prospecting, what marketers call, you know, demand generation or lead generation. This is where a prospect decides whether or not they have a problem or opportunity that, you know, your company can solve and whether or not they should spend any more time with you. So here in this early stage, it's about suggesting problems and opportunities and why they're important to, to deal with. Many marketers create, in my experience, too many product oriented tools, programs and promotions that do not fit in the earlier stage. Product discussions in the early stage are not very effective, unless somebody's already decided that that's what they want to buy. So I always encourage marketers to have a look at their, you know, their programs and their tools and ask themselves, you know, what percentage of these are, are really product feature company or in, oriented, right? Which they work well in a clerking environment, but they don't work well in a B2B. And if there's a lot of them to, to think through how they can develop more that are problem or opportunity-oriented to help sales reps be more successful in their early stage. Lastly, I think it's important for marketers to spend some time evaluating their sales reps' performance by looking at their pipelines. If you look at the various stages in a sales pipeline, often you'll see clusters of opportunities or gaps. So maybe there's gaps in early stage or there's clusters in the mid-stage. And they can ask themselves, well, what kind of tool or program or uh, asset can we develop to help all our sales reps be more effective at moving customers or prospects from that stage to the follow-on stage, right? And so, you know, helping them, helping the sales reps be more effective uh, by having the right tool and using the right tool at the right place. Got it. I mean that last one is
2: is uh, is that it, those are those are the three that I I have you know understanding where the buyer is and and then second one is thinking about the fact that the hardest part is the earliest part of the sales where we've got to really educate on the problem statement and they're deciding whether they have the problem or they want to spend time with you and then the third one was evaluating the sales pipeline is that is that are those the three areas that I get them right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that last one is interesting. I wonder if if you're able to give an example or elaborate a little bit further on kind of finding the gaps and opportunities and and if there you know any particular examples that you can think of or anything that could shed a little bit more
1: light on that. So, you know, we already talked about early stage, well, the prospecting stage. That's the worst stage to talk about product. Because all you're gonna get is somebody who already understands that they need it and want it and you know, they're just looking for a price. If you look at so if you look at the five stages the various stages people go through, they start with, you know, what we call need awareness. And then they go through an information search. And then they go for through something we call evaluation of alternatives. And then they go through a process of making that final purchase decision. So each of those stages, buyers have certain things that they're trying to do. So in the, let's take the second from last, the evaluation of alternatives or options stage. Here's where some really valuable tools on how to make a good product selection decision what should be you know the the criteria that you should use now you need it to be fairly <laughs> you know company agnostic not look too obviously slanted in your direction but if you could give reps a tool that could help them walk through a very logical process and certainly there will be some that slanted in your favor to help companies develop that criteria. If you look at the information search stage, people need to look at a lot of different options or several different options before they feel comfortable making a final decision. If you hurry somebody through that stage, they get afraid in the final steps. They say, oh, maybe I haven't looked at all the options. So they, they They pull back. So it's important that they go through that stage. And it's really important that you help them through that stage. So providing them once they're in that stage with a list of resources maybe you know analyst recommendations peer reviews maybe even some case studies depending on how they're written at that stage is very valuable but providing that kind of stuff later on is not that valuable so knowing where a client is and then providing them the right tools the right information to create those perspectives and create awareness around you know the right way to solve a problem, whatever, is really a valuable thing that marketing people can provide. Got it, got it, I love, I love that
2: example. Thank you so much for that. Now, you've mentioned your book earlier in our chat, but I wanna go back to that, because I also think your book is a great resource. We, we're, we're talking about sales, uh, marketing people understanding sales better, and I think that is also an amazing resource for, uh, for marketers to go through and, and read. To kind of develop that that understanding, but the title of your book is called P3 Selling, and I know that there is a reason that you specifically selected that title. Can you explain uh, how did that, how that came up,
1: how you came up with that title? Sure, great question. I have been stewing over it for a number of years. My goal was to give people, originally just brand new salespeople out of school. A simple framework that they could use, they could think through every day, what do I need to focus on? If you stand back and you ask yourself, what do B2B sellers do? They primarily do three activities. They understand, they influence, and they message. So if I say that to you or another marketer, say, okay, well, that's great, Greg, but where do they, what is it that they understand, influence, and message about? Well, there's three areas. And they just all happen to start with the letter P, hence the title P3 Selling. Those three areas where you focus on are customers' problems, the people within your customer organization who are impacted by those problems, and the decision processes or the buying processes that they use to decide whether it's going to be your product, somebody else's product, or no product at all. So for problems, we want to understand, influence the message around problems that we can address, the importance of addressing them, and the impact if they don't address them. For people, we want to understand and influence and message to all those impacted by the problems and why it's important to address. And we also understand the perspectives that they might have on different ways to solve them. And lastly, we talked about decision processes, which we need to understand influence and message around what's the best way to make a decision? Uh, well, how can we help them do it more easily and effective? So the whole idea is you want to understand influence and message around three areas, customers' problems, customers' people, and customers' buying processes. And that's the essence is the framework of the of the selling process. I love that. I love that. And, and, and that's, really, that's
2: really cool because I feel like that is also that that could be also a framework used by marketers looking at it from a different lens but still marketers need to understand the problems need to understand the people that they're going after and marketing to and need to need to understand maybe to a lesser degree the process but still it's important to, to, to have an understanding of uh, of of the process but again they need to think about do we understand these do we uh, how do we kind of influence and then how do we create a message for them? And then that message hopefully gets, trans- if it's good enough, gets
1: translated or transferred to the sales team. Would you say that's, that's correct? Yeah, absolutely. So what tools, programs, initiatives can marketing develop to help sellers do a better job of understanding a customer's needs, to influence their perspectives, which is in many cases about asking good questions, and to take what you've learned and the influencing that you've done and to package that up to a very tailored message that really resonates with a client on why they need to take action and why they do it now. So uh, I think marketers who really understand those key areas or three areas really well just do a, a dramatically better job of, of creating good tools that sellers embrace. Mm. Um,
2: Greg, I have a question for you. Regarding situations where marketing has not necessarily lost face, but but they are in an organization that sales doesn't necessarily, again, not valuing them is, a, is, is too strong of a statement, but they don't give a lot of credit to marketing, right? And marketers are trying to kind of better understand sales and come up with initiatives and programs that you just said to to help salespeople, but they kind of feel like they're against a a brick wall. What is your advice in those situations to marketers that find themselves in that in that situation that maybe someone a, a predecessor, um, if I could say that word properly, maybe didn't they didn't do a good job, and again they lost the the the, the trust of sales and they they have this uphill battle of working with sales what is do you have any advice for marketers who are in those situations
1: yeah uh shaheen i mean you you mentioned something that that happens way too much uh you know sales hates marketing because they don't give them enough leads and marketing hates sales because they don't take the leads they give them (laughs) them Right? That's right. So there's this there's this tension between the the groups. So you see that a lot. And but I'll tell you, when they work together, magical things can happen. So I, I think the the starting point is to be able to speak the language of the seller, right? Instead of saying, well, we gave you a whole lot of MQLs and uh, and we we got all these clicks on Google and uh, you know a, a, a sales rep. And maybe mistakenly doesn't care about those things. It's like how many deals that you leads did you give me and how many tools that you give gave me that can help me move my sales forward. So I think the first thing is understanding the job of the salesperson, um, understanding what they do, how they try to move a deal forward. And then secondly, looking at where there are gaps. You know, a lot of times we think it's a sales training issue and it could be a sales training issue, but many times it's, uh, I always think, you know, if there's a tool or a program or something that can help reps do a better job of certain stages of the selling process. And if they can just come up with one, like, you know, an RFP template, that's really powerful or um, certain kinds of, you know, ROI tools or other kinds of tools. But to do that, one is understanding the job and two is understanding the challenges And then three, developing, you know, a few things that sales reps try and get success with. I think that's how you build credibility. Got it. Got it.
2: Yeah, I've I've definitely been in situations where that's the case and it is, it is a it is a tough job to be in that uh, in that position. But that, that that is that is really good in terms of understanding the sales language and then and then looking at quick wins that uh, in, in different parts of the sales process to kind of bring those to 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 light and, and help sales teams. That's great. Now, Greg, before before we wrap up, and I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you, but before we get to those, is there anything else that you think we should discuss that maybe I didn't cover I like to, you know, think
1: of, you know, what trends are happening in the market out there. You know, over the last few years, if you read a lot of, you know, sales researchers, they'll tell you that we're going to have fewer salespeople in the future. And there's a lot of uh, studies done that, uh, you know, even the Department of Labor agrees that certain kinds of selling jobs are going away. But if you look closer at it, you find it's not all sales jobs. It's the clicking jobs. Computers, particularly with you know today's artificial intelligence, do a far better job of clerking than people do. <laughs> you know they're always at work, they work long hours, they're reliable, and they're cheaper. But the jobs that really, in in the complex selling world, that causes uh, customers to change their perspectives, to create awareness, to help them through a complex buying decision process, those jobs are increasing. The problem is, is that many sellers are not necessarily prepared for it and i think marketers could could rise up to that challenge and say how do we enable our b2b sellers more with the right tools the prog- programs marketing assets so that they can be much more effective in doing that that tough job i love that yeah
2: it it, it you, you're right i think the 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 kind of, as you said earlier in the call the b2c factor it might be um might get phased out or or drastically reduced but uh but the complex cell environment is still i think quite complex for uh for ai to take over at least at least not in the near future
1: nope nope not at all and, and bdc selling is always going to be here so if you know if that's your business then creating informational documents is what you should be doing i, I wouldn't dissuade somebody from that but there's a whole lot of commerce getting done in, in big B2B sales, and that's where I think the heavy lifting and marketing could really add, add value there. Got it. Got it.
2: Okay. Let's do, let's do some rapid fire questions. The first thing that I want to ask you is, what is one resource, this could be a book, a blog, a podcast, or a talk, that has fundamentally changed the way you think about selling or marketing?
1: Great question. I read a book when I, shortly after I joined Xerox a long, long time ago that was really impactful for me. It was called Spin Selling. And you've got to be a bit of an old guy to remember it. It's written by a fellow by the name of Neil Rackham, and it came out in the late 80s. What blew me away about that is it was selling strategies that was based on research. Neil Rackham was a, an industrial psychologist. He went on sales calls. He looked at what kinds of behaviors led to positive outcomes and the light bulb went on for me that helped me realize that b2b selling is more of a science than it is an art it's not just being a nice person and taking people for lunch and so over the years i've continued to research for you know more insights on the science of selling and i try to embody all those concepts uh in my book
2: i love it been selling obviously is a a classic i love that for sure Okay, the next one, I actually wanted to ask you about trends, but I think you you kind of cover that. so let's yeah. let's let's go to the next one. If you could give one advice to b two b marketers or salespeople, what would it be?
1: We talked a little bit about it, but I you know I'll harp on it again, and that is try to develop more messaging that is less about product and their company and more about problems and opportunities that prospects are likely to have. You know, everyone likes to brag about how good the product is or how good their company is. But without the context of a problem or opportunity that a company wants to solve, prospects mostly do not care.
2: Hmm. I love that. I love that. Last thing I want to ask, Greg, and and I love to ask this from influencers in any space, right? Someone who, like yourself, who has written a book. I'd love to know who are some of the people that you think are putting good content out there when it comes to sales and marketing in the B two B space, and you you know you come across their work and you're like, this is actually pretty good. Are there any any influencers that are on your radar that you know you either interact with or or um, put their content and and message in, in high regard?
1: There's a, m- a mixed bag. Certainly, there are some really good sales methodologies out there. Um, and I mean, I worked for a very large company that was probably the premier global organization when it comes to selling methodologies, there's a lot of dribble out there too.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's why, that's why I'm asking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But the challenge with, with some of the really good methodologies are twofold. One is they can be expensive, you know, $1,000, $1,500 for some of these programs and and then you're not done. They just kind of give you an introduction and they go on and on. So an individual can spend, you know, 5 to $10,000 in a flash on these programs. And small mid-sized companies, they're not going to pay for that. So someone's got to pay for it themselves. But the biggest problem is this one word, adoption. I had a a really good review uh, on Amazon by a guy who used to head up the sales training group globally for Hewlett Packard. And he's now moved and he works for a large, well, Accenture on developing sales training programs for their clients. And what he wrote was that too many of these sales methodologies are complex. They've got, you know, funky terminology and they're just, no one uses them. So while they're the really high performers get their head around them, use them, and are successful with them. Uh, the middle and lower tier salespeople forget them and go back to just talking about product. So that's the challenge I was trying to address is that the really good programs are tuned for the small number of high performers. And in this day and age, you know, if you've got a couple high performers on your team, you're lucky but you're not going to have a full team of high performers. So you need something to get the average performer to be successful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. I love that. Greg, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I very much enjoyed our chat. And there's, there's been a lot of great points that you've brought up. And I think a lot of our listeners will, uh, will, will be taking note and enjoying these, uh, these golden nuggets. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Shane. Enjoyed being here.
0: This episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Samito, with additional editing and music arrangement also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make this show without you. The show was hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And maybe even share the pod with a friend if you loved it that much. Thanks again for all the support
1: and looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.